citizens, welcome to Beer Me a Movie. I'm Dave Michaels. I'm Brian Betts. And this is the show where we uh, get into our nightgowns, get strapped down to the bed, <laughs> then arbitrarily score movies. Very arbitrarily, though. So arbitrarily. And then if people get mad at us, we hand them a cross and say, do what you will. We're opening drawers, and then when, they, when you tell us to open it again, we'll be like, in good time. It's actually such a power move where you open a drawer with your mind bullets, and then <laughs> that's telekinesis. A priest Kyle. says, "Do it again." You're just like, "No, I don't think I will." <laughs> you know what? I will, but not when you want me to. How cool would it be is if when Father Kyra's like walks out the door, all you hear is, "I just opened the drawer." <laughs> Father Kyra stops, goes, "Son of a bitch!" Damn Pazuzu, the great Pazuzu. brian happy week three of spooktober happy week three of spooktober the name is sticking week three was your pick why don't you remind everybody what movie you beard us even though it's all over the image on this thing it's probably in the thing you clicked (laughs) it's in the title you had to click play so for our buddy ray charles why don't you tell everybody (laughs) what movie you picked (laughs) well ray after the disaster that was Rubber, I decided to go with a more classic, famous horror movie so I wouldn't have any missteps again. Went with the most famous horror movie, 1973's The Exorcist, directed by William fucking Freakin. And just like every other scary movie in existence, this movie came out the day after Christmas. As it's supposed for to. For reasons. <laughs> All right, we're done with being jolly, right? It's like the holiday season's in that weird break between Christmas and New Year's that no one gives a shit about. They're like, yeah, let's just drop a fucking demon in there. Who gives a damn anymore? (laughs) Now that we're done celebrating the birth of Christ, why don't we go ahead and just blaspheme all over him? They did. And they did hard and in the best possible way. Brian, this was the first time you ever saw this movie. This is the first time I ever saw this movie. Why don't you give me your thoughts? I understand. Uh, why it's a classic. Why? Because it's pretty good. It's kind of scary. It's pretty damn scary. I've seen this thing a few times now, probably four or five, I'd say. And I have yeah. vivid memories of watching this thing in probably like early middle school, maybe. Maybe sixth grade, fifth grade, whatever it might have been. This was back in the time of like inflatable chairs. Gotcha. Yeah. That Just is, to set a that's scene. That's an era for sure. It absolutely is. If I were Taylor Swift, this would be my inflatable furniture era. (laughs) Inflatable furniture era. And I remember sitting on my blue inflatable chair watching this thing and going, all right, well, this is fucking terrifying. I feel like if I wasn't 36 years old and had (laughs) every single uh, iconic moment of this movie spoiled for me already, it would have been terrifying. It still works, too, which is the crazy part about It it. It really does. You want to get into this thing? I'm so curious to see what Ryder McStrike has to say. I'm just assuming it just says, content filter, no fun allowed. Basically, yeah, that's that's the gist of it. He tried. He really tried to get around the content filter, and I appreciate that, but we're going to have to fill in some holes for sure. That's all right. We'll treat it just like a cross and a... Ooh. I can't even finish that without feeling all yucky. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get right into it. Writer McStrikely says the following. In the mystical deserts of Iraq, where ancient secrets frolic in the sand <laughs> like mischievous genies. How wild <laughs> would it be if this movie was kind of like a weird prequel to Aladdin? 
<laughs> right. <laughs> I have the blue jeans. Robin pop Williams. Out, and he shows just goes, up. I just want to say, your mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> Better oh, movie. Boy. And that's hard to do with this one. That is difficult to do, but you're not wrong. Father Lancaster Marin, played by Max fucking Von fucking Serious Face Sidow. Ryder McStrikely gave him a nickname. He did. We'll have a talk with Ryder McStrikely about doing that. We'll handle the nicknames. Thank you very much. Father Marin unwittingly stirs a pot of demonic soup. <laughs> That's not the first mention of soup that we're going to get in this episode, weirdly. <laughs> Little does he know, he's just signed up for the spiritual battle of a lifetime, and demons, it turns out, are not known for their friendly demeanor. No. Why would they be? They're fucking demons. They're demons. Meanwhile, in the posh corridors of Washington, D.C., the graceful existence of actress Chris McNeil, played by Ellen fucking Burstyn, begins to resemble a Shakespearean tragedy. Uh, which part? The one where Juliet vomits green all over Romeo. Right at the death scene. That's what everyone talks about. Yeah. That was wild watching Leo get doused in that. He had it coming. Claire Dane just opening up and just projectiling <laughs> all over Leo. That's a movie. That is a movie. I forgot that movie existed until you said Leo. It's weird and it holds up and it's still weird. I feel like anything Shakespearean that's holding up is going to be weird. That's pretty fair. It's a miracle Shakespeare has held up as well as it has. And we're not going to get into that conversation here about <laughs> a, a demon uh, who does the most horrific things imaginable to a body it's taken over. Chris's daughter, Reagan, played by Linda fucking Blair, once the epitome of innocence, descends into a state of possession so profound it makes your average haunted house look like a cozy bed and breakfast. The tranquil halls of their home transform into a circus of macabre, where even the rats in the walls are considering finding new lodgings. That's cute, Ryder McStrikely. That's real cute. But as we know, there are no rats in the walls because they, you know, they, they check for that. They do, and they also hang out in the kitchen instead. That's where they belong. Underneath the hats of the cooks. Maybe that's what they weren't checking for in this thing. Like, what if Reagan got quote-unquote possessed, and instead she's just wearing like a chef's hat the whole time? He's just Patton Oswald on her head. Be pretty great. Watch that. <laughs> I would too. Enter Father Damien Karras. Jason, why did I sign up for this fucking Miller? A priest so conflicted he makes Hamlet look like the poster child for decisiveness. <laughs> What's with the Shakespeare? What is with the Shakespeare? Also, this father can't figure him out. I, I don't know. He's also a psychiatrist, and he will not let you forget that he's also a psychiatrist. No, he repeatedly says that. He, like, barely shows up with the collar. Most of the time, he's in, like, a sweatsuit. I was going to say, when he's not wearing the sweatsuit, he's just wearing that, that gray Rocky sweatsuit getup. Father Karras has some demons. Like, I internal? Yeah, internal demons. Not the kind that are real and possess little girls. So he just has the basic struggles that we all go through every single day of our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, <laughs> I wish I was there with my mom. She's sick and old. Then she dies and he feels guilty. Because he put her in a home. Well. And like the home that he put her in is really no different than the home that Abe Vigoda ended up in in Good Burger. <laughs> That's true. Like this thing is a dance number away from being Good Burger. <laughs> Give me all sorts of ideas for The Exorcist, too. They Wait, have does that exist? It, I know. It very much yeah. does. It of is course. garbage. The third one, though, pretty damn good. Is that true? Yes, it's true. So it's like the Cars trilogy. Exactly. Cars 1, I've gotten over my hatred of it, because I've now watched it 150 oh, times conservatively. Yeah. 
because of children. Cars 2 tries to do a James Bond spoof, and it does not work. No, it's not weird. And there's this whole rivalry going on between Lightning McQueen and the Italian F1 car, but it's like a friendly rivalry, but they don't acknowledge it enough, I feel like. I've never seen Cars 2. And Michael Caine is playing like a James Bond type car. Okay, that's cool. Pretty excellent. But then Mater goes like undercover and he can shape shift a little bit too. And like they confuse him with some sort of secret agent car. And it's like, it's not. He actually like ate a whole bunch of wasabi thinking it was free pistachio ice cream at one point. It's wild. (laughs) I'm surprised that somehow anybody would think that Larry the Cable Guy is not Larry the Cable Guy. (laughs) Exactly. And the best part is that he got confused for being the secret agent car while he was in the car bathroom. Because he was leaking oil, and he says, I don't leak oil. And then everybody was like, fuck Brian. Exactly. <laughs> <In that bathroom laughs> Can I tell you a bathroom story? That this now feels appropriate. It's Sure. It's been a, a couple episodes since you've told one. I didn't have to go poopies this time. Okay, good. This was straight peepees. So I go into a Panera, because I Naturally. wanted my above-average hospital food. <laughs> you take that back. And I'm in a bathroom taking a piss, and... The music that's on is just some sort of bebop garbage that's there. Like, I tried to Shazam it, and it didn't play long enough for me to Shazam it. So in one hand, I'm holding my phone with Shazam. In the other hand, I'm holding Little Dave. And then the song changes. <laughs> and after I'm listening to that for a few seconds, like I put the phone back in the pocket. And I'm like, wait, this song's garbage, too. I want to Shazam this. And the song must have lasted 20 seconds max. And then it changed again. Panera bathrooms, <laughs> I think, have ADHD. Are Panera bathrooms just playing the iTunes previews for bad music? <laughs> they might be. Got a whole playlist of the songs from Starbucks, but just the previews of them. Exactly. They couldn't afford the full thing, so they just decided, eh, this is good enough. You're not going to be in here very long. And little they know, I will be. <laughs> just because I want to keep shazamming your terrible music. <laughs> so Chris, in her desperate quest for normalcy, ropes Father Karras into this supernatural sideshow, and suddenly he's knee-deep in a mess that not even the Bible prepared him for. Talk about a leap of faith. It's Assassin's Creed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Father Karras is having some issues with his faith because of everything that happened with his mom, and now all of a sudden it's like, how about real demons to reassure you of your faith? What issues is he having with his faith? His mom was old and died. The end. Why would God... Etc. Etc. Because mortality is a thing and we're all going to die one day. I should have been there. And you're not only a priest who understands mortality and the afterlife, <laughs> if there is one, but you're also a psychiatrist who's able to get underneath that dome and into that noggin to, in order to sort out these feelings. Father Karras may not be the ideal candidate for this job. But he might be the only one willing to take it. That's fair. Reagan's possession turns into a masterclass in terror. Doctors scratch their heads so much they might need a scalp treatment soon. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Ryder McStrangley. I love how they're running all these tests on Reagan. There's like, no, nah, she's totally fine. Minus, yeah, the green eyes and the <laughs> incredibly <laughs> chapped lips. She's very fine. Yeah, sure. She's covered in sores and she's tied up all the time so we don't know where they came from. And she's kind of turning a little bit green, but this is totally normal. I understand that she threw up enough that somebody gave the wrong answer on figure it out. I get it. (laughs) But besides that, normal teenage girl. The secret word is... 
what if this movie like took place in the medieval ages and they're like going through and she's like leaking all the green out and they're just like, hmm, this must be what a period is. <laughs> oh, it's, she's having her lady business coming out of her mouth this month. Chris, you can expect this once a month, I think. This is totally normal teenage girl behavior. Tell her to swallow these leeches, she'll be fine. If that doesn't work, do heroin about it. And if that doesn't work, we'll put the leeches on a cross and she could kind of just enema them into herself. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yes. That probably needs to be addressed at some point. It will be, I hope, uh, shortly. Or it won't. Oh, content warnings. It won't. Yeah. Uh, Reagan turns into a full-blown fucking demon. Yeah. Like, she could float and turn her head around, and she can projectile vomit green at people, and she also uh, penetrates herself with a cross? While yelling, that happens. Fuck me? And then fuck her mother me. comes in, and her mother's like, hey, cut that shit out. Stop so she it. grabs her mother and puts her mother's head between her legs and says, lick me. Lick me. That happens. And you see Ellen Burstyn come up with just a face full of crotch blood, and that's not great. That's not ideal for any movie. No, and this is just little old Linda Blair just having a ball. What is she, 13 years old? No. Uh, acting. <laughs> this isn't even like a John Love. It's acting. Father Marin, the seasoned exorcist, strides in like a spiritual Gandalf, staff in hand, ready to <laughs> banish demons and take names. So this is kind of like your Cars 3 then, isn't it? I guess so. Where you have to have the older model come the in in order veteran. to kind of face the newer model, if you will. Yeah. The newer model can't get it done, even though he's definitely a hell of a lot more fit than this old guy. You need the old guy to show you the ropes, the tricks of the trade, in order to really get it across the finish line. Cars 3 doesn't suck. No, Cars 3 is probably the best of the three of them. That's saying something, because Cars 1's not bad. Yeah. Even though there's that whole weird pinstriping tattoo. I was just going to say, wow, is that pinstriping? Oh, oh, you saw that, huh? It's like, yeah, you're waving your back bumper like you're some sort of floozy. (laughs) You're a Porsche. Act like one. Maybe she is. Maybe Porsches are sluts. We don't know. Oh, no, we don't know. You're right. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) My strange addiction. It's just that guy like laying under the car. He's like. I'm addicted to fucking porches. I don't know. Porches. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's that a different episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this young house. I fixed up so many of these things that, I don't know, wood gets me wood now. <laughs> the natural progression of it, really. Get out of here, porch fucker. <laughs> I'm bringing it back. <laughs> um, I saw where that bit was going to end up, and I decided to put a stop to it before I started it. <laughs> Well, you don't like diving on moving trains? <laughs> <laughs> I recently nope. got asked what our obsession with Bob Vila was, and I told him to shut their goddamn mouth. <laughs> First of all, how dare you? <laughs> Second of all, what's not to love about Bob Vila? There's three things about this show that if this is your first episode, listen, that you need to know. First of all, Bob Vila is our personal god. Secondly, Billy Mays is the right hand of God. <laughs> Thirdly, never forget that RoboCop shot a guy in the dick. Those are the three guiding principles. You're pretty much caught up now. Oh, no, there's more. Father Marin is like the Dumbledore (laughs) of exorcism, (laughs) minus the long white beard, but with double the gravitas. I like how he's just throwing in, 
I don't know, fantasy old people white beard, even those guys have a beard. I don't care. The exorcism itself is like a cosmic wrestling match with Reagan as the unwilling champion. Her once angelic voice now resembles Darth Vader on a bad day, and the furniture in the room is having a dance party that would make Michael Jackson jealous. Will it? (laughs) (laughs) It's a battle that could rival the Super Bowl, except instead of touchdowns, we've got levitating objects and the occasional burst of fire. Where's the fire? I don't remember anything bursting in flames. I don't either. And this is like a padded room. They like put pillows around all the yeah. four corners of the bed. So, I mean, Sugar Ray is probably pissed off about that. But oh, every morning, what are you gonna do? There's no fire. It's a fireless movie. There's no fire. There's not a single fire in the whole movie. In this clash of heavenly titans and hellish fiends, Father Karras becomes the linchpin. His wavering belief as stable as a house of cards in a hurricane. I got nothing for that one. I feel like at this point in the movie, he pretty much believes what's going on. There's a literal demon in front of him using his mother's voice. Yeah, and that has to be like the ultimate insult that Reagan drops on Father Karras of, your mother sucks cocks in hell. That's a rough one. It is a rough one unless his mother like turned tricks. Imagine Father Karras like, your mother sucks cocks in hell. And he just goes, oh, she's happy again. <laughs> Oh, good. I love that for her. Father Marin, you're on your own. Clear. My mother's fine in the afterlife. She's sucking cocks just like she loved to do back in her younger days. We're, we're good. Uh, I believe in God again because of that. <laughs> Knowing that my mother is taking balls all over and all around her chin. I just She's know that down there's an afterlife there now. doing what she loves. <laughs> She's down there and down there. Yet somewhere between skepticism and conviction... Father Karras finds a strength he never knew he had. It's like watching a superhero discover their powers, only with more holy water and fewer capes. What's the superpower? The ability to just ignore a demon and keep chanting? I guess, yeah. Your, Your ability to say the power of Christ compels you despite what's happening in front of you. I like how long it takes him to, like, Scott Pilgrim gets it. For real. It's a long time. And he was, like, the first one in this. He's like, I think that this little uh, bitty here is possessed. They're like, you need to have proof. Okay, how do I get proof? She needs to talk in a language that she's never learned. (laughs) She needs to speak in tongue. I love that he goes to the place and they're like, actually, that's English. She's just saying it backwards. He's like, ah, damn, back to the drawing board. There's no other way of qualifying (laughs) demonism, I guess. I don't know. I mean, just invite another priest over and be like, that fucked up? Yeah, that's fucked up. All right, do the exorcism thing. Isn't there an actual condition where if you get hit in the head hard enough, you start speaking in like a different accent or language? Yep. And I've always hoped that I'd be like British one day and then I can oh, finally sound smart. Fucking fantastic. Do you want me to start just beating you over the head until With it like happens? a hammer, just repeatedly. Yeah, just whack. This is me telling you on a yeah. recorded medium here. You have permission to beat me in the head with a hammer until I speak <laughs> a new language. Please bludgeon me in the temporal lobe until I sound like Michael Caine. Ah, you thought Muzzy was the way to learn new languages. Nope. Here's a hammer. This is learning languages with Bob Vila. (laughs) This old language. That would be a good way to get into Latin. (laughs) Because it's a dead language. I get it. Speaking of uh, my Latin teacher who used to give me detention all the time. Yeah. In high school, that was really when I was starting to become a big film nerd. And during one of the play practices, he was like mushing the actors around. I was in the pit and working with other actors also. And he's like mushing the actors around. 
And I was like, you're treating him like a Hitchcock would right now. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, Hitchcock used to just refer to his actors as cattle. To which then he says, leave it to Dave Michaels to drop a useless bit of information. And I looked at him, I said, you literally teach a dead language. <laughs> I mean, your middle name might as well lines be. Pretty quickly piece, after that. <laughs> piece of useless knowledge could be your middle name. But. <laughs> Semper Obi Sabubi. Gaudiama Sigitor. As the exorcism reaches its climax, the room vibrates with an energy so intense it could power a small city. Words of power and conviction echo in the air, bouncing off the walls like spiritual fireworks. Reagan, once a vessel of darkness, thrashes like a fish caught in a tornado. Would a fish thrash in a tornado? Once you pull them out of any water, they tend to thrash about. I a tornado that. just exacerbates it. it. It does. I don't know if things wiggle in a tornado. So much. Like, it's not like when you stick your hand outside of a car because the wind is so strong, it just kind of pushes your hand back. Yeah. Doesn't make my hand go all floppy like I lost all my bones. I feel like a fish in a tornado, you're right, might be more rigid than a fish otherwise. Random strikely. Back to the Get drawing board with you. Can you type in a prompt to him of just stop writing dumb shit? I don't know how to teach a computer. I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> He says, uh, I apologize if my previous response didn't meet your expectations. Please let me know how I can assist you further or if there's a specific request you have in mind. Son of a bitch, you're so polite. So polite. Now I feel bad. <laughs> He's going to be all snarky with me now the next time I do a movie. Oh, is that okay with you, sir? Did I say that right, sir? Oh, is that less shitty, in your opinion? <laughs> The aftermath is a whirlwind of emotions. Reagan, free from the clutches of the demonic squatter, blinks as if waking from a bad dream, while Father Marin, the battle-hardened warrior, finds peace in the great beyond. Hey, he dies. Also, there's a whole plot where doesn't she kill, like, the director of the movie that her mom's working on? Yeah, Burke? Burke. Yeah, he, he is possibly thrown out a window, he possibly is led to jump out a window, and then downstairs. Yeah, and then there's outside. a whole investigation about it with Lieutenant uh, Kinderman, who's like looking into the family about how, ah, I think there was a murder. Lee fucking J fucking Cobb. There it is. Cannot believe Roger McStrikely said, I mean, he's only a Hollywood legend. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> yeah, fuck him. Completely left him out of the plot. We'll make Roger McStrikely write lines after this. As okay. I like that. And Father Karras, the reluctant hero, leaves behind a legacy that would make even the angels raise an eyebrow in admiration. Does he? I don't know. Ryder McStrickley doesn't even mention that he took the, the demon possessing Reagan and then dove out a window while he was possessed. Or he was kind of possessed enough that he got thrown out a window. Possibly. That's how I kind of interpreted this time. It wasn't so much that he, like, he took the demon. It's just like, I'm going to yeet myself out that window and take this demon with me. Yeah. I think the demon's just like, hey, fuck this guy. And then he yeeted himself out the window. I'm curious what the demon's endgame was anyway. Was he just, just trying to kill a little girl? I'm not even sure he was trying to kill the little girl. Just kind of just hung out. Just a demonic squatter. That's exactly what it said. I'm just hanging out, having a good time. The demon, when it was free, made no effort to get out of this bedroom. That's true. Seemingly. Like, you'd figure that this demon would want to, like, take over the world and roller skate with hockey sticks and uh, <laughs> show up in Red Bank, New Jersey. Right. But no, none of that. Just chilling. I have a weird question about demons. Okay. So we know from Dogma that angels have no 
bits. No, no bits. Right. They got no bits down there. No prenus. Do demons? Demons have two, actually, to make up for the angel's lack. That can't be real. <laughs> I have no idea. This isn't like a, a plug and play, Brian. You can't just take a wiener off of something and slap it on something else just because, like, you're good. You're not going to be needing that wiener. I'm going to throw it on the bad. Now it could double fuck or something. Oh, I think all supernatural beings are just basically Mr. Potato Heads. <laughs> Whatever one's missing, another one's got. Mr. Potato Head does not have bits. Well, yeah, because the demons took all of them. Okay. <laughs> so I was mistaken. Demons have three prenuses. It's uh, the, the natural demon prenus, the angel prenus, and the Mr. Potato prenus. Play school is going to sue us, man. <laughs> <laughs> They're just mad right now that they can't market this anymore. Like, ah, they took our idea. Mr. Potato Demon Prenuses. You thought it would be enough to give it a giant back door. Hmm. Preni? <laughs> Preni? <laughs> I don't know the plural of prenus. Prenuses? Oh, I'm not sure. Anyone who wants to look this up, just go to like meatspin.com or something and you can tell us what you're thinking. And also, don't go to meatspin.com. Don't do that. <laughs> if you've made it this long without knowing what that is, actually go. Figure you should actually go at this point. And then right after you're done with that, just go on to chat roulette. Yeah. And then there's a really good music video you should look up from Rick Astley. Welcome to the internet. You've made it. You've arrived. In the quiet aftermath, as dawn breaks and dispels the shadows, the McNeil household stands as a monument to the resilience of the human spirit. The battle is won, but the memories linger like the aftertaste of a particularly strong cup of coffee. Rhoda McStrikely ends just about every synopsis the way that Peter Jackson ends the Lord of the Rings trilogy with 900 Nine times? Endings. Yeah, yeah. The world might never fully grasp the supernatural spectacle that unfolded within those walls, but for those who lived it, it was a testament to the power of faith, the triumph of light over darkness, and the occasional need for a good laugh in the face of unspeakable evil. All right. If you say so. Got real flowery at the end there. <laughs> sure did. He was trying to hit word count, I think. This movie's fantastic. It's so good. Uh, story motivation, this is an easy 10 for me. Easy. That brings us to casting. Ellen Burstyn, Max Van Sydow, Lee J. Cobb, Jason Miller, Linda fucking Blair. And let's not forget the voice of Pazuzo, Mercedes McCambridge, who did some insane things to get that voice. This has to be a 10. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, this is like some of the most inspired casting in a horror movie hard stop. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason this thing is iconic. And it's not because the studio was like, let's get Marlon Brando. And Friedkin was like, let's fucking not. Because then this will just be a Brando movie. It won't be the important film I want it to be. So Brando showed up and he wants to be a demon who's shaped like a green floating bagel <laughs> making electronic <laughs> buzzing noises. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Did you notice that in our Patreon episode last month that for the AI sequel that I made, oh, I noticed. a floating green bagel. Uh-huh. <laughs> if anyone wants to understand the backstory to that, go way the hell back to when we talked about the first Superman movie as the Cape Podcasters. It's yeah. way back. It's a long, long time ago. Also, Jack Nicholson went out for the role of, of Dr. Karras, Father Karras, but they decided that he just seemed too unholy to be believable in the role. Yeah, I could buy that. So what they ended up with was perfect. That's a 10. Protagonist. Is it Father Karras? I would say. I think that makes the most sense. 
I understand that he has all these inner demons and whatnot that he's fighting against as he's fighting a literal demon also. Right. I hate that he's some sort of psychiatrist priest man. Makes it's no sense stretch to me of a, for the yeah. most part. He doesn't really sell this demon thing all that hard. Like he goes to like the high priest. He's like, I have a crazy story for you. And there's like, <laughs> listen, we literally talk about a guy with long hair who walked on water. <laughs> Whatever you're about to tell me is not going to surprise me. <laughs> We've got all sorts of crazy stories under our belt. I think we're ready to hear this one. He doesn't sell it very well. No. He's like, uh, well, there's a little girl. She's being real weird. And they give him the old priest just because he may have experience going against these types of demons, exorcism and stuff. They kind of just like throw someone at him just to get well, the, doesn't the, the um, back. When the demon is speaking in reverse, he's actually saying Father Marin's name. Is he? Yeah. That, I think that's why Father Karras goes for Father Marin. Jeez, I kept hearing Paul McCartney's dead. <laughs> Paul is dead. So is it a coincidence that they gave him Father Marin? Because that happened with two entirely different priests. They're like, yeah, just throw Marin at him. I should give him Marin. Oh, but he's in Egypt digging up stuff. Iraq, you racist. Sorry. <laughs> Mystical deserts of Iraq. That's what yeah, Ryder McShane. The mystical <laughs> deserts of Iraq. He's out in the desert trying to find some boner statue. He does find a boner statue. And Twice. he might bring the boner statue home. I don't know. He finds the boner statue, and then at some point the boner statue's in the bedroom. Right. But then he also finds that little piece in like a, a weird desert hole that he pulls out, and then for some reason Lee J. Cobb finds it on the sidewalk outside of this house, even though Father Marin. <laughs> May still be overseas? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't understand. Seven. S seven for the protagonist that we don't know who it is. Antagonist. Eleven. It's Pazuzu. Yeah, it is. Uh, Linda Blair. So good. Goes so hard in this thing. But at the same time, doesn't? It is the most nuanced performance you'll ever get out of a preteen. Out of an over-the-top demon, yeah. <laughs> but this movie's fascinating. Like, style and tone, we get there. I oh, want to talk a bit more about that uh, in some detail, at least, because this movie yeah. does things that modern horror movies can't be bothered to do. Okay. I'm intrigued. I'm going to go, again, 11. I have to go 11, 11 with this one. It's this an 11. is such an iconic performance at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to the point where I knew all of the major bits before they got to them. What do you mean you knew all the major? Like, are you treating this thing like King and Peel valet parkers? Yeah. yeah. Basically. That Linda Blair's, though. That Linda, Linda Blair's, Blair's turns to the Pazuzus. She turns to the Pazuzus, spins her head all the way around, pukes on everybody. That's my shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 11 for antagonist. Screenplay. Written by William Peter Blatty, who also wrote the book. So wrote the book. That's always a good thing whenever the writer of the original story is able to adapt it. You know what? I think it was actually Blatty that said hell no to... Brando. Good. Yeah. Brando would have been very distracting in this movie. So much. It's a really good screenplay. I think, unfortunately, the best lines of this movie are the incredibly offensive ones. Yeah. From the that demon. is unfortunate. But, but what are you going to do? Hey, just because they're offensive doesn't mean they're not good. It's true. I'm going to go with a nine. Nine for your mother sucks cocks in hell. Exactly. Style and tone. This movie takes its sweet time yes it does it never ever pushes it and that's one thing i really appreciate about it william fucking freaking 
was yeah. a legend in Hollywood. He was one of the top directors for a really long time. And this movie really shows why. It's not a very elaborate movie when you break it all down. There's not a lot of locations that they're going through. Right. For the most part, the entire psychological part of this takes place in one room. Yeah. So it kind of makes it appropriate. Lee J. Cobb is there. 12 Angry Men. Hey. What William Freakin does is slows everything down. Nowadays, you're going to get things picking up in pace when the horror starts to kick in. Right. The music's going to really pick up and swell, and it's going yes. to try to drag you in that way. With this, it just lets it play out. Modern movies will use that, that quickening of the pace of the movie and the, the music to really ramp up the tension in a, in a manipulative way. But does that make it tension? Exactly. Is it tension or is it just a reaction? Well, you're going off of a whole argument of what is suspense mm -hmm. versus kind of jump out and scare you type things. Right. And I feel like I've talked about it before with Alfred Hitchcock, where imagine you have a whole group of people sitting around a poker table. They're just playing their little game. And then, boom, a bomb goes off. It's going to give you a jump. Yeah. But that's it. It's going to give you a jump, and then we're on to the next scene. And then but now imagine exactly. that you take that bomb, and you have all these people playing poker, and you go under the table, and you see the bomb has a timer on it of 30 seconds. Us right. as the audience, we're in on it now. Now it's building suspense that these people don't know what's happening. It gives it an entirely different element there. Yeah. What this movie does is, yes, it lets us in enough. But it doesn't try to manipulate us as the audience. Agreed. Into thinking anything else. We're along for the ride with Father Karras in everything that Father Karras is seeing and feeling and understanding about the situation. It's not trying to cut back into that room whenever one of our leads isn't in that room. We're not seeing right. Reagan on her own doing weird demon things. Like, exactly. I don't know, fucking Sudoku where she's just putting 666 for everything. <laughs> I don't know what demons do. Yeah, it's, so we're on the same plane as Father Karras, like early in the movie, when we're not sure if she's just faking this or if it's an actual possession. We learn with the main character. How cool would it be if she was faking it? If it's like a weird Ferris Bueller situation? Yeah, and the, the whole thing, the whole reason that they suggested initially doing an exorcism was because psychologically, for the same reasons one might think they're possessed, the action of going through an exorcism will convince them to stop doing whatever they're doing. It's a brilliant movie. Style and tone. Gotta be a 10. Director, gotta be a 10. Yeah, 10s across the board. No, for... hold on. Style and tone, I want to go 11. I want to give the bump. Wow. Yeah, I, it felt dirty. A dirty 10 is not a good feeling. A dirty 10 is a, it's a bad feeling. It's one of the most iconic horror movies for a reason. Exactly. 11 for style and tone, 10 for director. Let's talk about music. Scores done by Jack Nietzsche. It's not really stand out to me. I remember long note organ or synthesizer, but... Right. Oh, the iconic There's piano the main theme, theme. Yeah. Which is incredible. The theme is great. They only really use it at the very beginning of the movie. They do, and it's when Chris, like, comes home from work. I expected there to be more of that. It's kind of just like her it coming home from work, and you hear used. it as she's walking on the sidewalk. It's like, all right, the demon's here. We heard the music, I yep. guess. Guess we're getting into it. <laughs> I'll go with a six. The theme six. is unbelievable, but... This movie yeah. doesn't do a whole lot, and it's kind of by design, and the stuff that is done stands out in a weird way. Right, so, right. It's not using the music to ramp up tension. Right. So, I mean, I Which like it. It's appropriate, but yeah. it's nothing six. special. Six. Great theme. Fantastic theme. That's the reason it's a six and not lower. 
box office for this movie. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, it's a 10. I know that right off the bat. This thing made buku bucks. It only has an $11 million budget. Yeah, it does. Its initial domestic gross was $193 million. That's insane. That's just its first run. It got re-released in, what was it, 2002, 2012, somewhere around there, somewhere in that decade, and then did a whole bunch more money. And so its lifetime domestic gross is $233 million, but its worldwide gross is $441 million (laughs) on an $11 million budget. If this isn't an 11, nothing is. Yeah, that's pretty fair. That's insane. And then, of course, the final category is impact on the industry. If it's not an 11, I don't know what we're doing. Now it feels like we're just fanboying. And I know that we're going to be too high, and I just have that feeling already. But I like this movie, damn it. There's a reason that this is is the movie. This is the, the easy one to pick, because despite not having seen it, I knew that it was iconic before going in. This is the first horror movie to get nominated for Best Picture. That's massive. Get Out doesn't get nominated without The Exorcist. Exactly. Hell, a lot of movies don't get nominated without The Exorcist, really. Especially when you're looking at something that can be considered a blockbuster. Exactly. That came out in December. (laughs) Weirdly. You know, spooky season. It's one of the most iconic horror movies for a reason. It's got to be an 11. It has to be an 11. Which is going to give The Exorcist a total score of... 96. Yeah, we're way too high. (laughs) Because on Rotten Tomatoes, critically, this thing scored at 78%. That's so much lower than I expected. And audiencely, this thing scored an (laughs) 87%. Oh, wow. That's also lower than I expected. Agreed. Again, I think this is one of the most brilliant horror movies ever made. Yeah. It's not like a slasher that goes out there with kind of like your Friday the 13th your Halloween, Halloween, anything like that. It's right. a totally different area. The nightmares on Elm Street. Man, it lands so hard every time I see it. It's so good. Yeah, this one is getting added to the spooky season rotation for sure. Brian, that is a hell of a pick. Thank you. But that brings us to the part of the show where I have to ask you, and I've been dying to know, what are we talking about next week? Do you remember my preamble to Spooktober? What I told you my plan was? Yeah, I remember what you what your goal was for Spooktober. What was it? That your first movie was going to be a little bit out there, but your second movie was going to, quote, break the show? <laughs> I might have said that to you offline, but yeah, it may break the show. I'm nervous, but I'm so excited to find out what it is finally. So we're going to do things a little bit differently for this episode, because there's a lot of firsts that are about to happen. Okay. Mostly in the sense that We're going to be talking about a Japanese movie. Oh. And we're not only just talking about a Japanese movie. We're talking about a Japanese movie that's looked at as a cult icon. Okay. And we're going to have to hop in the Wayback Machine and go back to 1977 for this one. Oh, wow. And the movie we're going to be talking about, and I'm just going to preface it this way by giving you the very quick IMDb synopsis. A schoolgirl and six of her classmates travel to her aunt's country home which turns out to be haunted. That's all that it gives you. Okay. This is the type of movie that you should watch before you listen to this episode. And if you are inclined to not be in a sober state of mind while you watch movies, this is one to be in that state of mind. Okay. Okay. This is a movie to be experienced 
more than to just sit. Oh, boy. Yeah, there's a lot going on with this one. The movie we're going to be talking about is 1977's Nobuhiko Obayashi's House. Sounds like this is going to be a trip. It is a massive, massive, massive trip. I highly recommend that people watch it before listening on this one. You are able to find this one streaming on Max, HBO Max, whatever we're calling it. It's also on Criterion Channel. Ooh, showing off your fancy bit right there. I am. I had my bow tie on weirdly when I said it. Give it a little tug. That's on the Criterion Channel. I am so excited to talk about this movie. It is one of the most batshit crazy experiences I've ever had watching a movie. I'm very excited. The bar has been set. Next week, we're talking 1977's house. Until then, thank you guys for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Be sure to send us your movie suggestions for our our listener pick at the end of the month, because we always do that. And we have to do it. No matter what it is, we have to do it. No matter what it is, even if it's house. The Japanese horror movie from 77. Fuck you. (laughs) I can't wait for you to watch this thing. I'm so excited. Join us on Patreon this month for our worst conversation bracket. Absolutely absurd. (laughs) And also this month on Patreon, we are raising money for Extra Life that is going to be donated in November. So all the dollars we raise on Patreon are going to a good cause. So sign up, increase your pledge if you're already on there, whatever you got to do so we can raise money for the Children's Miracle Network to help some sick kids. I don't care if you take your money back at the end of the month. No, I please do. Please do. This is just a one month only thing where every single dollar we make gets donated. Every single dollar. Yep. So up your donation. Great. End of the month. Bring it on back down. That's fine. If you'd rather donate directly to our account instead of going through Patreon, you can find the link for that on linktree.com slash beer me a movie. Where you'll also find the link to our social media, all of them at Beer Me a Movie, except for Twitter, which is at Beer Me Movie Pod. But the most important one is Facebook because We always put up a post on a recording day asking for your questions and comments. And as you can imagine, we got them. A good buddy Micah wrote in. He said, you're now a Catholic priest. Ignoring your longing for the choir boys and knowing you're about to possibly get spewed on by a demon child while you attempt exorcism. What type of underwear are you going to have on? Micah, buddy, you've listened to the show. You know I got those aloof buck nakeds on. I feel like the situation doesn't change anything. I'm still wearing some sweet boxer briefs. I was waiting for you to say the situation doesn't change anything. I'm still going commando. (laughs) That's honestly the direction I thought you were going in. That would have been good. Like, that explains the walk. Huh. (laughs) Do I have a walk? Everybody's got a walk, buddy. I have a very clear memory, again, in middle school of becoming conscious of how I walked. Okay. It was a weird time, man. It's one of those where you're like figuring yourself out. And I remember like, is this a normal walk? Is Am I cool with this walk? Huh. <laughs> That's going to be me in five minutes going like, wait, do I have a weird walk? <laughs> it's kind of like whenever your buddy looks at you after you guys have been drinking all night. And he goes, you're now breathing consciously. Now I am. Like, you son of a bitch. Why, why would you do that? Dave Novak wrote in. He said, ahoy, hoy. Of course he did. Is The Exorcist the best movie to have the absolute worst sequels? Or is that Jaws or another franchise? Micah chimed in there. He said, The Matrix. Oh, it's a good poll. Um, I haven't seen any of the sequels to Jaws or The Exorcist, so I can't really speak to that. But Cars 2 exists. <laughs> That's the direction you're going in. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I'll second that. Cars 2 sucks. What are you going to do? <laughs> but Cars 3 is great. So, you know, they redeem themselves. Cars 3 is great. It's a coming of age story for an older age, though. Well played, right. Pixar. Well uh, played. That's always their move with the third movie. Trying to get his new trainee that piston cup. He did what in a cup? He did what in a cup? Larry Get the Cable dead. Guy used to be a thing, kids. Once upon a time, there were four men, and they had blue collars and a comedy tour. And the last question we have is from Donnie. He is always in his element. Extra in his element this month. It's Spooktober. This is like the month he lives for. He asks, which soup would be the best slash worst to have projectile vomited onto you? Ooh, a really spicy chili. Why? Because of the spice. That's fair, actually. Uh, mine would be from the above average hospital food Panera. It would be the broccoli cheddar soup. <laughs> the broccoli cheddar? Because it's delicious. But then I'd be like, You'd be that, tempted that to demon's eat it. kind of like feeding me like I'm a baby bird at that point. It's mm. not so gross. Then <laughs> you're just growing a little broccoli demon inside you. That's how the transference of demonism works, I believe. Exactly. I'd, be, I'd get decauliflowered or something, however they would call it. <laughs> I don't know. Everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you for your questions. Brian, do you have anything else? That is it for me. Fantastic. Next week, we're talking 1977's House. We'll see you then.